Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this episode, we've got Scott Mackner, also known as 330 Maniac on YouTube and social media. We've had Scott on before. I really, really enjoy Scott. I'm a big fan of his, his content on YouTube. I learn a ton from it. Now, if you don't know who Scott is or you're not familiar, Scott's from Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. So he fishes the lakes area. I'm talking Ottertail County, Becker County, all that. He's also well-traveled. He's, he's fished a lot of places. If you go, again, you go on YouTube, you find his stuff, uh, you know, it, it's all there. And he's just, he's such a humble guy, easy to watch, easy to learn from. And he fishes a ton. He's such a fishy dude. And in this conversation, a little different than some of the past conversations that we've had where we talk about opportunities and different lakes and fish patterns, uh, this conversation is going to really revolve around presentations and just some situational fishing. We're going to talk specific presentations and setups and then just, you know, kind of the patterns and the places and the species and just the cadences uh, is a big part of this conversation. Just everything that sort of, uh, you know, wraps up these scenarios um, and the presentations that Scott really has confidence in uh, at this early ice time period. And I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to this and take a lot away from I know I did. I do every time I talk to Scott. So let's get into it. We've got early ice panfish presentations with 330 Maniac, Scott Mackner. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Devil's Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. Everybody listening to this podcast has a passion for the outdoors. Wouldn't it be great? Or have you ever even thought about how great it would be to live and work in and around like-minded people, making a difference, contributing to the resources that you love so much, the North Dakota Game and Fish Department is hiring. If you're just starting out, if you're looking to build your resume, seasonal wildlife and fisheries technicians are the perfect way to gain experience and spend the summer with cool people just like you. If you're currently sitting in your office, you're sick of staring at the same four walls, enough is enough. Join a team of elite outdoor conservationists and become a district game warden. If you or somebody that you know needs to learn more about these opportunities, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov slash jobs. I know you're a panfish guy. It's early ice. Um, if you if we were going to build sort of a hierarchy or just sort of, a you know, the, the, the top three or four starters in your lineup for presentations, talking bluegills, talking crappies, whatever you want to talk about there, panfish, early ice, like... Where do we start that conversation? Where do you start with that, man? Like, 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 how do how do we jump into this year top presentations this time of year? You know, it, it probably sounds almost like a like a like a classic, you know, lineup that maybe other other people start with. But me personally, you know, I'm all like I'm always going to have a uh, you know four or five millimeter jig in my box. I'm going to have a small spoon, like actually like a, a small pinhead minnow you know, something on that order. Uh, also a small jig and wrap. I'll always have that with me with some spikes. Um, and usually like the, the, like the bottom couple sizes of all those baits is, is usually what I always have with me because I, I never know, you know, if the fish are going to be super finicky or whatnot. So I just want to kind of have all my bases covered. 
you know, so, so you'd like to have all your bases covered. I think that's true with a lot of anglers, right? Like when you're going out there, you don't know exactly what it's going to be that day and having a little bit of a repertoire, just kind of ready, uh, you know, at the ready to sort of, you know, divvy it up. But like for you, you know, uh, what is your progression? W- which one do you start with? And and what are some of the factors that sort of go into that? You know, I mean, you know, species, the size structure, like, 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 how do you plan your presentation sort of uh, progression, you know, the night before you go to a particular lake? What are the things you're thinking about? What are the things that you're trying to consider? What are some of the environmental conditions that matter to you? when you decide to do use one bait over another or what your color selection is or the size selection like talk to me a little bit about how that progression goes you know i so if i choose a body of water whether whether i fished it or i haven't fished it yet you know um there's a lot there's there's so many lakes around here that are actually great lakes that are overlooked um smaller bodies of water that may, may only be 18 or 20 feet deep that you know you drive by them all the time and maybe you'll see one fish house out there all winter you know, so on and so forth. And a lot of people don't realize that, that those lakes can hold some really good fishing. And just depending on the lake that I go to, um, depends on, you know, that's how I, I pick up my presentation. Uh, I always want to, I like, I personally always start with like a four millimeter jig with a plastic or some spikes or some wax worms. Um, that's just like, it seems like just the, the general go-to that everybody's going to start with when they go out to target panfish and then, you know, and if I actually, if I happen to look at like the lake net data, you know, if I'm going to look for, for big crappies, so on and so forth, and I'm going to these bodies of water, um, I'll usually even upsize my baits a little bit because, you know, they're usually also not as pressured as some of the other lakes around here that, you know, you always see that classic village out there that, you know, the guy down over at the gas station is just like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so was out there, and now I see there's 20 people out there, you know, already. Like, when you're when you're breaking down a bite, and you're you're making presentation adjustments, and, and, and I'm even thinking, like, cadence adjustment, like, like what, what are some stories, what are some memories that you think that, you know, you could think of from years past where, you know, when it came down to the presentation, uh, you know, like what was a breakdown where you started with something, you put a few pieces together and by the afternoon you were using something totally different, some, doing it in a way that was very specific to really make it pay off, man. Like, like give us like a story or a memory. You know, actually the, the, or actually this year, the first lake I fished on, um, went out there with a buddy of mine that doesn't, doesn't fish as often as I do. And you know, I'm not gonna lie. Some, some, you know, sometimes you get confident. You know, you get really confident in, in everything you use. You know, you're like, I've caught fish on this and this before, and so on and so forth. But we head on this on this pond, and he's drilling holes, and and we find out that there's tons of panfish all over this, you know, this like 11 foot bay area. And I'm out there with you know my four millimeter jig and a you know a say a half inch soft plastic, and I'm and I'm doing my thing and I'm jigging and I'm catching fish. I'm like feeling good. I'm not catching tons of fish, but I, I look over at him and I'm like, oh, this is, you know, these fish are kind of finicky, you know? And, and I look over there and he's just like, after like a half hour, he's, I think he had like four or five crappies in to my one. And I just thought to myself, like, what am I, you know, what am I not doing that he's doing? And, you know, we are actually running the same jig, 
but I seen his, you know, his cadence. Mine was just a, we're just jigging up above him two or three feet, you know, and just a nice controlled lift and a, you know, jig and a fall. And he was literally pounding that jig on the spot, like literally like a, just a fast, like a two, two or three inch hop on that bait. And he would pause it and, you know, and he was catching those fish and, you know, I don't know exactly what it was about, about that cadence that it made the fish bite, but I switched to that and it was like somebody flipped a, a light switch. Um, I was catching twice as many fish as I was, you know, 15 minutes, literally. I don't have near the experience that you do, but if someone were to ask me the same thing, I think in general, as, as often, like definitely just as often, um, I feel like a cadence, um, you know, whether you're being too aggressive with a cadence or you're not being aggressive enough is as big, if, if not the most key adjustment that I've made in the past versus switching baits altogether, right? Because I think there's, there's definitely those anglers out there, or maybe you go through those stages of your career where, you know, you're just really into changing baits a lot. You know, we all like to, you know, have a reason to use another bait that we haven't used in a while or whatever it is, but, you know, pulling your rod out of the water, pulling your line out of the water to change a bait versus just maybe, you know, cause you had a few lookers or whatever, like versus maybe just trying to understand maybe your cadence and get a better feel for that. Um, yeah, I think that's a tremendous lesson. Like, like how, what would that be for you? If you were to look back, do you feel like, you know, a story like that from this year, like changing your cadence is a more impactful learning curve for you or, or is it bait selection? Do you feel like? I feel like, like cadence is, is a really, is a really key, you know, um, ingredient to, to all the fishing because, you know, the, and I think the, what gives people, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say a false sense of, uh, of, uh, security or, you know, you, you get out and you got this confidence in, in these baits, you know, and so on. You go to, you go to a lake that's not pressured or something and you stumble across this school of big sunfish or big crappies and they're just hitting everything, you know, and you're just, you know, you're just thinking every single, every single fish on every single lake is going to do that, you know, and then you, maybe you go fishing with a friend or something, you know, or, and you get there and these confidence baits are just not working and you're, you're upsizing, you're downsizing, you're, you know, whatever you got all these fish looking and maybe you get a fish or two and you just think, what am I doing wrong here? And it's actually gotten to the point where the, you know, this one big, big bluegill lake that I was fishing and they were, I mean, they were, they were big ones. And I, was beside myself with what I was doing wrong. You know, I'm jigging fast. I'm doing a slow fall. I went to a spoon. I went to all kinds of stuff and I ended up jigging this and I got a phone call and I literally set my rod down on the bucket and I picked up the phone and it was like 20 seconds later, I looked over the tip of my rod and it was loading up. I set the hook, get it up. It's a, just a solid, like, you know, nine and a half inch bluegill. I'm like, huh, wonder why he bit, you know, Sure enough, I put another thing back down there and I'm, and I'm jigging normally and I literally just set the rod down the bucket and I'm staring at my graph and I can see that mark just floating up on my jig and it must have been there for 25 seconds or so. All of a sudden, I see the tip of the rod pop, pop and it starts loading up again. And, and you know, and it was, it was a mistake that I stumbled upon that, but if I hadn't, you know, I, I wouldn't have realized that, you know, that it was such a big deal, you know. 
to getting bit fish to bite. That right away, like triggers trauma in my life of like learning how to catch some of those tougher on those tougher perch bites on devil's lake. Right. Like anybody that's ever done that or watched a YouTube video, like some of the bites out there that can just be such a deal where you just hold it so steady for as long as you can. And it's hard for those of us with like, as I would call my, you know, ferocious ADD that it just doesn't allow me to, you know, to just do that. It's just some of those tougher bites, man, for sure. I've been on crappie bites like that too, where, you know, your bait meant something like the profile meant something, but the cadence was really the key to the operation, you know? Yeah. And, um, I just, I think those are great conversations to have. And you know what, like learning, um, cadence, uh, uh, or, or having a, having an understanding, it's almost like just pure self-awareness. Like if you just know what kind of cadence you have or know, you know, just, and realize you can do different things. Your tackle box, it costs you no more money to like triple what's in your tackle box when you learn how to use everything in there multiple ways, you know, or, or like, you know, just understand that cadence can make one particular lure fish like three or four you know, a little bit more of that presentation, gigging back into sort of your top lineup, you know, what are some of the situations where, or what are some of those, you know, decision makers, some of those, def- the, the factors, the details that matter when you decide to get, you know, to upsize or get into a spoon bite, um, you know, what are some of those situations that you feel like you've been in and where, you know, fish and spoons really paid you off? Oh gosh, you know, um, so I like to I like to fish a pinhead minnow quite often. You know, I really like the jointed ones. There's been numerous times where I've been fishing crappies, and you know, oftentimes you don't you don't need a you know you don't need a bait to put on you know for a crappie. You just jig that you know put that down there, jig it. You know, actually, the pinhead pro is there's a I believe it's a it's a like a copper and green color, just an amazing color. And actually, the color itself looks like it catches fish. But anyway, so I'm you know I'm jigging that that bait on certain lakes and the crappies are just annihilating it. And, uh, and I get to a certain lake that have, that have some bigger crappies in it and they're not biting it. I'm putting wax worms on there. They're not biting it. And then normally it's a walleye thing for me, but I got a bunch of crappie minnows with me and I decided to pinch a pinch a minnow head off. And, you know, I, I put a minnow head on this, on this pinhead minnow. And now it's like these crappies that just that, one little, you know, change in the jig totally made like turn these crappies on to bite. I want to hear more about your progression, like more of like your, you know, the, the, the conversation that you have in your own head when you go somewhere and it's somewhere you've never been. So you got to break it down. You know, I'll get out to a lake and like I said, I'll, you know, most people have, have a rod or two or three different ones set up with spoons and so on and so forth. But I'll always get out to a lake and I'll drop down, say, a four millimeter tungsten with a plastic on it. And you're, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're looking at these fish and you're like, oh, these are nice fish, you know, and all of a sudden you get a bite, you know, you get another bite and you're, you're pulling up, you know, say nine to 11 inch crappies. And all of a sudden one of your, you know, your, your 13th crappie or something is, is a, is a, like a 12, 13 plus incher. And, and, you know, and there's certain points where people just want to catch numbers. You know, maybe you just want to catch a bunch of eaters. Then I would stick with the smaller presentation, but it gets to a point where, you know, I, 
catch one of these big fish in the school. And, and then in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I just, that's what I want to catch. Maybe I just want to catch these, you know, all these larger fish. Um, so I'll either, I'll either pull out a, a larger tungsten with like a two inch soft plastic on it. That's actually my, my favorite bait is a, is a big soft plastic. Um, and I've told you that before with a, you know, a long shank hook and a, like a four or five millimeter tungsten on it. That's my favorite big crappie bait. But I also like, you know, even like a, I've been using a glass buckshot spoon, you know, the smallest size or, or the, the second size of pinhead minnow. Um, if I'm just trying to pull exclusively those big fish out of there, I'll just, you know, change gears and just upsize my bait. That's the biggest thing that I personally make myself the biggest change. Like on a tougher bite, you know, for, for whatever the, those conditions may be, maybe describe a tougher bite, um, and, or what you view as like the conditions that kind of creates a tougher bite and what, you know, what the things are that you feel like you do to try to be successful. Um, I, I do, I do notice that you tend, you have to downsize. It seems like on the tougher bites, um, you know, I, a lot, I use a lot of three millimeter when the tight gets, when the bike gets super small or super, super, when they get super finicky, I mean, um, and often I'll, I'll find one of my favorite soft plastics and I'll literally like rip a leg off of it and put that on that small jig and you, you know, it produces so many more bites, but you also have a super small hook that you're, you're losing more fish on. So I'll either downsize, but the other thing that I've really found out that works good is, um, there's a lot of baits that have a, it, it's almost like an ant. I would say, or like a, if you picture like a daddy long legs, a tiny daddy long legs, I've seen these plastics where they have a super narrow body that's about as wide as your, you know, just barely wider than your jig shank. And you put that, put that on there and it'll have four or five legs hanging off it. They're also super, you know, so it's just, it's not a, you know, it's a, it's a larger profile, but it's not like a round profile. It's just a very flowing, you know, a lot of moving parts on these small jigs yet and seems to, you know, get these finicky fish really to commit to abate right on right on man i think that's good stuff do you got anything uh i mean anything fun planned maybe we can kind of you know sort of sort of visualize um you know some hypotheticals here uh, maybe some things that you want to get into um this year like things that you're going to be trying maybe that are a little bit different maybe there's some lures that you're excited to try that um you know that are new like anything on that front you know like i just at the last ice show up here at the Shields Ice Fest, I picked up a bunch of those new Tika Flash um, baits. They're like, you know, you, you've, you've, I think everybody's seen them. They're like a little swim bait with a treble hook on the bottom and a spinner on the back. They just, to me, they look like a, like a, a big perch, you know, walleye. Well, probably big perch crappie killing, you know, just a killer. And even if you put, I think if you put some wax worms on the bottom of that thing, it's going to be just a hit. Um, I'm actually headed out tomorrow morning, hopefully to shoot a video, some big crappies. And like, that's a lure that I'm really excited to try. What are you looking for when you're looking at variety? Do you, do you, when somebody opens up your tackle box, do you have like a whole bunch of the same thing in different colors or do you, you know, do you kind of look for the different profiles? Like, like what does your tackle selection look like? You know, I don't have that many different colors. You know, I honestly, um, jigs, jig selection anyway, um, white, pink and white chartreuse black are my favorite colors. They, they, like one of those always seems to work out in some condition on every single lake, 
when it comes to uh, like swim baits, when I say sw- not swim baits, um, like a minnow style bait, like the Tika Flash or, you know, some sort of a jig and wrap or, you know, anything like that. You know, I, I like a, you know, because I like, I really like targeting, you know, big crappies. I like a, a some sort of a minnow profile, you know, uh, they just, they just seem to produce, you know, bigger fish because, you know, uh, crappies, when they get bigger, they become more prolific to, to eating, you know, bait or, you know, minnows instead of, you know, all the small organisms and stuff that the smaller fish tend to eat. Everybody listening to this podcast has a passion for the outdoors. Wouldn't it be great? Or have you ever even thought about how great it would be to live and work in and around like-minded people, making a difference, contributing to the resources that you love so much? The North Dakota Game and Fish Department is hiring. If you're just starting out, if you're looking to build your resume, seasonal wildlife and fisheries technicians are the perfect way to gain experience and spend the summer with cool people just like you. If you're currently sitting in your office, you're sick of staring at the same four walls, enough is enough. Join a team of elite outdoor conservationists and become a district game warden. If you or somebody that you know needs to learn more about these opportunities, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov slash jobs. Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations we talk about the fishing all the time on this show but to find out what the lake and the community has to offer which is way more than we ever talk about on this show you can head to devilslakend.com and get all that we're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community there's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of devil's lake also our favorite the fishing tab It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at devilslakend.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. You know, another thing, you know, ice fishing that is so important, like it's incorporated into almost every podcast, every every interview that I ever do is is just that word efficiency. Like, like for you, you know, we're talking presentations and, and, and we're getting your stories and, you know, just some of the, you know, just some of the, you know, just the you know, behind the story behind some of your opinions and your experience at this point. I love it all. You know, but just talking about getting the bites, right? We're just talking about getting the bites. But, you know, a lot of times a day of fishing is just full of all kinds of, you know, different, you know, ebbs and flows and bite windows, right? And and and, and efficiency can be really the name of the game. When it comes to your presentation selection, especially when you're fishing new water, you know, or, or you're, you know, when you're breaking down some water, do you ever, do you ever find yourself just like, picking a lure that just allows you to fish a certain way, a certain speed, you know, uh, with a certain, you know, just sort of a certain efficiency so that you feel like you're covering enough water? Or are you purely just, are you willing to fish slow all day just to count the bites? Like, like talk to me a little bit about that and what that means to you. You know, I, I personally, like I, I've 
I'll run like a four millimeter jig with a, you know, some sort of soft plastic on it. Like that's, that's the bait that I, you know, I, I keep a package of in my pocket and that's like a confidence bait that, you know, I can, I can drop and I can get lots of bites on and I don't have to fumble around the tackle box changing, you know, here and there, um, things up a lot. And it, it just, it just seems like the lure that, that, uh, that works the fastest for me and gets the most amount of bites. It just kind of gives you that balance. Do you feel like, like, has that kind of always been for you? Is that something that like, you know, one of your mentors taught you like your dad back when you were a kid, or do you feel like, you know, lately the last handful of years that you've really been, you know, a more nuanced angler and, and all the technology that we have, like, like, like where, what's the story behind that kind of learned behavior? Do you feel like for you personally? You know, that's honestly, um, where it kind of started was YouTube. I, you know, I had no idea, you know, growing up, it was, you know, our, our crappie fishing was, Hey, you're going to put a fat head on this hook and we're going to, we're going to sit up in the fish house or whatever. And, and we're going to wait and we caught crappies, you know, I never imagined that, you know, nowadays, like I almost never use a, a live bait for a crappie anymore. It's always a jig in a plastic or a, or a spoon with something on it or, or, you know, a small jig and wrap with nothing on it. Um, I just watched a video one day, maybe, gosh, seven years ago where, you know, a, a guy used a soft plastic and he was catching all these crappies. And I thought, what, you know what? So I go down to the bait store and I buy some, some plastics that look similar and I go out and I start catching crappies and I'm like, wow, like this is a thing, you know? And then I just, I started refining that. Um, I noticed that, you know, I needed a better, I needed a better rod, you know, I needed something with a softer tip to get, you know, a smoother cadence on it. Um, and then instead of using eight pound line, you know, now, now I'm running, you know, three or four pound line because it, it, it makes that lure, you know, fall through the water so much better than, you know, on the end of a, you know, like I said, a, a stiff piece of eight or 10 pound monofilament. It's just a, it's just been a refining, refining that exact, uh, um, you know, my, my way of fishing has been. What is like your ultimate setup? Describe your rod. If you can think of it, what is the length? What is the action? What are the things that matter and the, and the details of what they are on your all time confidence setup that we're talking about this, you know, this four mil jig and soft plastic, you know, and for me, I'll, I'll say this, that it really depends on the style of fishing you do. You know, um, I know, a lot of people that, that don't want to use a rod over 30 inches long because they, they, you know, they fish in a wheelhouse, so on and so forth. So I don't know if the rod length, you know, really matters as much as the action does. Because if you have if you have the exact same rod in a different length, you, you get the same action. Me personally, I like a longer rod. I, I, I fish outside so much, or even if I fish in a hub shack, um, I'll have the hole far enough away where, you know, all my all my rods are, are 36 inches. Like all my panfish and walleye rods are my big pike rods are a little bit bigger than that, but, um, my current setups like tomorrow I'll be running, uh, actually a couple of noodle rods, one, one noodle rod. They have, they pretty much have the exact same, um, action on them, the tips, but one has more backbone than the other. So, and then also one has a free fall reel on it and the other doesn't, you know, I use that free fall, that free fall reel and three pound test and, uh, you know, a three millimeter jig is like kind of my finesse setup, I would say. Um, and then on the other rod, I run five pound floral and uh, like one of these pinhead minnows or a, a plastic, you know, and a big jig. It's just a, a, just a little bit heavier setup, 
and trying to, you know, target those specific big crappies in the schools. But it's got, you know, you got to have, like I said, uh, for me, panfish rods in general, just a good, just, just a good noodle rod is important for cadence, you know, and it's also seeing the bite on the rod is also important because those, you know, those soft up bites and stuff are, can be so subtle. That's where, you know, when a, some sort of a noodle, right, noodle style rod comes in such a good play because I've seen many people that don't have, you know, a rod like that in their hands and they're missing fish. You, and you actually, you know, you, you're like, Oh, there's a fish there and they almost don't even realize it, you know? So just having a, you know, a really good setup, you know, whatever, you know, brand you're using seems to be, you know, a, a, also a big, you know, game changer in your everyday life of fishing. For sure, man, for sure. And your line selection, you know, you talk about three pound on your finesse setup, you know, a closer or a five pound or something, you know, just a touch bigger in comparison uh, for, you know, your more standard, um, more, a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more upsized um, presentation. Talk to me a little bit about sort of your line management, your line selection, and just kind of where that falls on your, you know, your list of priorities. So, you know, with me, when I run like the three pound test, I even, I even have a rod that has two pound test on, it, you know, and once again, you know, you, you know, if you want the right action on a bait, um, a small bait, particularly, even like I have some two and a half millimeter tungsten, you really have to have a really light line because, you know, you, you put even like four or five pound on a jig that small, it, it really doesn't have the proper action, you know, um, that it should have versus, you know, having that really, really thin line. So the jig breaks the water you know, when you're, when you're jigging it versus, you know, you're like your upsized baits, like you said, like the, like the spoons and the, and the bigger baits, um, there's more weight to that. So that, that five pound diameter doesn't affect them as much as it does on the smaller ones. And I, uh, yeah. So from targeting big crappies or bigger crappies, I want to, I want to get away with the thicker line, but at the same time, you know, you got to have something that's small enough to where you can still get the action that uh that you require basically to get those fish yeah 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 because there's definitely like perspective there where like you know and it you know it's like what however you make that decision it can be based on like for you it's like getting the bites like you make decisions that matter to the fish right and so many of us probably overlook some like somewhere in the equation there's some there's a category in there sometimes it's line a lot of times it's the rod too like like so many of us you know aren't necessarily you know it seems like they make a rod for every lure that's on the market nowadays right like it, it there's no end of stuff you can have um but like you know like like somewhere in there you know it's like well i downsized my lure but all you did was bite it off you know you, you got six pound mono and you were fishing a jigging spoon or whatever. And then, you know, you saw somebody else catching fish that was, you know, they were fishing something smaller than you. So you just bit off, you tied it back onto the same, same rod. So you tied the same lure as they have, but you didn't ask them, you know, maybe they're running three pound, you know, maybe that, you know, that's a different, now we're talking, it's a different action. You're still not matching apples to apples as far as like what the fish are interpreting. So you can be fishing next to that person and just your line selection alone, you know, with the same cadence and the same lure, but different line can can matter. You know, like that's basically what I'm taking away from that. And I think that that's a big takeaway because a lot of times on a tougher bite, 
those things definitely do matter. And, you know, we could sit here and talk about a good bite all day long, but we really don't have to because even, even uh, you know, uh, the least experienced angler can capitalize on a good bite. I think the conversation around these details where it's going to pay off um, on a tough bite, which is maybe you know, 40, 50%, if not more times that you go out, you know, you, you know, it's not like every time we go out where it's lights out, you know, and you just suffer through one tough bite a year. If you fish enough, a lot of times you go out, you got to make changes, you got to make adjustments and paying attention to these details, hearing your experiences and, and how those setups kind of fit themselves and sort of understanding that line selection is more than just having enough having a, a, a stiff enough line to bring a fish up a hole, but it affects the cadence, um, which affects, affects your catch rate, um, I think is just such a great point to make anyway. So I guess I appreciate that, Scott. Anything else? What else should we be talking about? What are some of the fun? Oh, I got I got one for you. So I was watching I was watching Jay Siemens. Jay Siemens put out uh, some, some stuff uh, already this year. He was up north in Manitoba or whatever. And I was watching uh, one of his videos, and... Um, and he, they, they were doing something on there that I just thought, like, how, how this is the first time I'd ever seen it. And I don't I don't know how to this point it's gotten to this point where it's like the maybe I'm the last one in the world to realize this. But they were doing some fishing, some sight fishing on some trout up there. And they they set up next to uh, a food cache uh, off of Beaver Lodge. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That makes so much sense. Like, maybe I want you to sort of describe what that is. And I want to know how often is this like, am I the last person to ever think of this? Like, like, you know, you know, but you're the, you're the trapper here. So you might have to explain to everybody like what that would be, but like the big brush pile, like, and how that would attract fish and, and, you know, other outside of the fact that maybe you got to be, you know, some ice safety, you know, if beavers are present, they're swimming around there all the time. That could be some thin ice, but like, like, is that something that you ever do? You know, kind of funny that you brought that up. Um, a few years ago, Oh gosh, maybe about maybe six or seven years ago, I went up to Red Lake with some friends of mine, and we did a we did a guided. Uh, they do rainbow trout trips up there to their to some of their stocked lakes and stuff. And there was one particular lake that that they hadn't stocked in like three years. So the guides like, hey, you know, we're gonna go back to this lake because we 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 specifically specifically asked to try and catch a bigger fish. And he's like, well, we'll go back to this lake back here and you're not going to catch a bunch of fish. You know, you may be out of your group of five, you're going to pull a couple of these fish, you know? So we get back there and, um, and, and the trout, you know, in these lakes are, you can catch them in in as little as two or three feet of water. So anyway, we get out there and he's like, well, you know, fish wherever you want. And that first thing I noticed was there was a big um, beaver lodge on the shoreline and there's a food cache out in front of it. So when you say food cache, you know, food cache is just a, uh, if you're driving along, you see one of these beaver lodges that are all over the place. You're going to see brush sticking out of the water, tons of tree branches, fresh tree branches from this fall. You'll see the tops of them just sticking out of the ice. And what that is, is the beaver will cut off as many tree branches basically as they can possible. They prefer to chew off softwood and stuff, but they'll, you'll see a little bit above the ice. And what you, what people don't realize is, you know, the other 90% of that food cache is under the water. So it'll be, you know, just a, an expansion of these branches underneath the ice, you know, just in a big cluster. And the beavers swim around this in the wintertime. And they chew off, 
these branches and bring them into the lodge and they eat the bark off of them. But the, you know, the attractant is, you know, you got these food caches where, you know, it's not a perfect, you know, bundle. There's long branches sticking out farther, you know, and it's just, it's such good cover for fish to hide in, you know, and not to mention, you know, you have these food caches and all the, you know, all the bugs and, and everything and even small bait fish that are just hiding in this, you know, expansion of brush to try to stay away from, you know, the predator fish, whether it's be, you know, sunfish or crappies or even trout. So, you know, we, we go right over and, and I go like 15 feet from this food cache and we drill some holes and um, me and the other guy that were, that were with me, we each caught like a 20 or a 21 inch rainbow that Monster. day <laughs> and, and and we lost a couple of them you know where, where the other everybody else is like you know have you even seen a fish no I, I seen one on the graph you know and and then we shared with with everybody that, that we were seeing fish over here um so it's just uh yeah it, it, it's just cover for the for the for the fish to hide in also um and mostly for the bait you know they're that they're feeding on to be hiding in these expansions of brush um which is, you know, in the wintertime and, and in the springtime, it's it's the exact same, especially spawning crappies in the springtime. I couldn't tell you how many times I've specifically gone to a lake and went and found these, you know, old feed piles because generally they eat most of it, but not all the time. So now in the springtime, these things will be just gorged with crappies and sunfish because... Once again, you know, they also, and they also, you know, the sun beats on, on them all day long. So that water around it warms up a lot more than everywhere else. Dude, I love the insight. And I feel like maybe I'm like the last person in, you know, in the world to like sort of understand that. But, you know, and, and there's, and to be fair, there's a lot of bodies of water where that's just not a thing. But on these smaller lakes, you know, uh, and, and I just feel like you're one of my inspirations in this, especially in Minnesota, but anywhere where, you know, you know, it's worth, you know, kind of getting yourself, uh, you know, a little bit smarter about finding a new lake, you know, you know, in search of some unpressured fish or a new fishing experience that could just be really, really fun. Finding a new lake is part of that. And a lot of times it's the smaller lakes that are just overlooked. By and large, a smaller lake is easier for people to overlook you know, it, it, it's not quite as findable for the average person. And, you know, if you can go online, use the resources that are out there today to sort of seek out some of these opportunities. A smaller lake in Minnesota, it's surrounded by trees and, uh, you know, or maybe it's got a shoreline of cabins in the, and then there's another stretch of shoreline that's all like, you know, it's maybe cattails or some, you know, big, you know, wooded hardwood banks, you know, coming down and there's a beaver lodge right there. Right. And then, and, you know, just looking at that, like, what a great place to start. You know, I mean, for me, the light bulb was going off all, all over the place when I was watching, you know, referencing that one video that Jay Siemens did. And, you know, leave it to those Canadians to just kind of, you know, <laughs> casually, you know, they're, they're, they got endless supply of beavers up there. You know, a lot of that water, especially the backwoods, um, you know, or the backcountry kind of lakes that are up there. But don't think that there isn't a ton of that in the Midwest as well. There are. There are new. Uh, there are there are unimagined. Like, you know, to the un, to the untrained eyes, what I'd see. You know, most people don't drive around and say, you know, I want to look for a beaver lodge. Me as a trapper, when I'm out fishing, my head's on a swivel, and I, you know, and and I see, you know, a lot of these beaver lodges. You know, the thing is, 
a lot of these beaver lodges, you're not going to see them off a point, you know, where it drops to 50 feet of water. Majority of these beaver lodges are in shallow bays where it's four or five or six feet of mud. So it's a natural area, you know, for those spawning fish to go into to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe some of that beaver activity, you know, you know, besides just, you know, like that, that food cache, but like just that beaver traffic over time creates little transitions in the troughs and the, you know, just their, their swimming lanes and just their, how that high traffic goes. And it creates that little pocket of habitat. And it might not be, you know, it's not something where, you know, you know, a village of houses can survive a whole winter and just have a good bite every day. You go out and all this is like situational stuff. But like, if you get somewhere, like I'm, I'm just thinking of my own. Like, I already know a handful of, of lakes that I just cannot wait to get back to, and I'm gonna go. I know that where the beaver lodges are at. I gotta investigate that just, just because it just sounds like fun. It just sounds like something that most likely not a lot of people are really looking at. It's a totally overlooked thing, and um, yeah. If and if anybody ever has any more questions about whether and you know how to identify a beaver lodge and a food cache they're just gonna have to reach out to you a little bit more i love the way you describe that though you know it's like usually you'll see just a little bit of brush sticking up you know out in front of a beaver lodge somewhere but what's underneath that ice it's like a fish crib but it's even less structured than that which makes it good because there's like probably some really funky stuff in there that that it just makes it really cool and you can nuance it a little bit and find a sweet spot on it or more than one but they're huge balls it's like a fish crib though that's like attached to the ice like it's it's like up so it's it, it creates suspended fish as well as fish below it's a multi-species deal probably a lot and probably during certain bite windows or you know morning and evening it, the predators probably stroll through there they know where that's at right like the, if it, it'd be a big pike spot for tip-ups or something like that or you know whatever anyways I just think about that stuff like there's always something you know even if you've got a home body of water that you've fished forever you know, uh, and, and you've got all your presentation decisions made, you've got all your spot decisions made or whatever. And, you know, you haven't changed your game for the last 10 years and you listen to this and you think, oh my gosh, you know what? I think there's like a couple of big beaver lodges on my home body of water and you go there and sure enough, there's a, there's a food cache. You might find a cool population of fish that ain't nobody touching, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and around, you know, the other thing around beaver lodges is, you know, I, I say that these bays are three, four, five feet deep, you know, those beaver lodges, especially after they've been there for years, they literally, they, they excavate those beaver runs, you know, so you see a beaver lodge, it, it might around that feed pile, it, you know, it could be eight, 10 feet deep, you know, so that's just another, you know, another reason those fish hang out there. I've, I've actually in videos, you know, I've, I have videos of me catching a lot of largemouth in these runs because they you know they use them as an ambush point they'll literally hide down in these runs wait for bait fish to go by you know i've caught largemouth in there um the boundary waters i before i had my youtube video stuff uh, i was actually i wish i had video of it i caught i couldn't tell you how many walleyes i caught out of a couple of beaver runs that the beaver were using them so much that they turned the runs into just like sand where it was versus mud kind of around the rest oh, of the yeah. lake. Yeah. And, and I would cast into this, into these beaver runs with just a, a plain Mr. Twister and be jigging it back. And the wallies would come right out of the beaver run, like a, you know, and shoot out like a Northern. And it was just, you know, just the, just something so different like that kind of opens your eyes to certain things you never think about before. Oh yeah, dude. 
Dude, maybe that's an idea for one of your videos this winter. You got to go somewhere and do some of that underwater camera work where you just fish next to a beaver cache. And uh, and and it just show people just how diverse it could be because you know if anybody knows where a bunch of those are at that might be worth uh, fishing it'd be you I think oh yeah <laughs> dang man I just I don't know it just sounds like a really fun little it just sounds like a fun little thing it's not like some big idea in fishing right it's just a food cache from from a beaver lodge but there's a lot of people that you know that it's kind of an exotic thing it might get you fishing drilling holes in a totally new place on a lake that you may have fished a hundred times but it gets you thinking about something just a little bit new it's kind of a little bit exotic and out of the box to decide to go back into a bay you know an old muddy bay that's shallower and find this beaver lodge and and just look at the habitat that is created around that and drill around that and just find something so cool that's a mile away from what anybody else is doing or thinking and you have all those fish to yourself you know. you know, and that's and that's the that's the thing. You know, nowadays you, you have a lot of things that people are all doing the same thing about. You know, thinking outside the box with whether it be the new lures or a, or a new place to find fish. You know, is something that everybody I feel should look at doing. You know, because they could then. I mean, then that's kind of a one up you have on everybody else that you you figure out. You're like, well, nobody else is doing this, and I'm you know, and I'm putting fish topside doing this. You know, and and it makes you feel good finding us. You know, finding something new. There's definitely like we're definitely getting into it. There's a lot of people that are starting to tiptoe out on the ice. There is a little bit of that early ice vibe going on right now. Um, definitely, you know, some people are finding some opportunities, but I would say the vast majority aren't yet because nobody's driving out anywhere uh, or particularly nobody's driving out anywhere. Maybe some ATVs in some places or whatever. We're just getting to that point. Um, you know, Red Lake is popping off. Uh, as far as that goes, but, but it, you know, um, we're definitely just right on the cusp of this or right in the beginning stages of this early ice conversation across the Midwest. And so a lot of this is all just, I don't know, just fun conversations to just, you know, shoot the breeze on just fun little topics and get some tips from you. It it just gets you fired up, you know? Yeah. And I, and actually today when I was pulling on my traps, I, I started, I've been seeing some people on, um, you know, three or four different lakes today pulling out wheelhouse or you know pulling out some sort of a hard-sided shack with a with a side-by-side or something you know um so that warm stamp we got yeah that warm stamp we got here last the last few days was kind of bad but now the last couple nights it actually i like we got that warm stamp we got some snow and it actually i think you know was good for us because we didn't you know we didn't get a we didn't get a whole bunch of warm weather and bad ice it just we got a little bit of warm weather, added some water to the top of the ice, and then we get about two inches of snow, which sunk into the water and now froze. So now the ice, the very top of the ice is kind of just nice and, you know, white colored, which, you know, my my early ice experiences that I've had here in recent weeks, the water around here, you know, a lot of this is getting so clear to where, you know, you're drilling on these fish, you know, or near these fish, and you can't get near them. Because the water's so clear and the lakes froze so clear that you're casting a shadow. And even if you hunker down in a spot for 45 minutes, these fish don't even really want to go near you. You know, on a lot of these lakes and this little bit of snow and everything we got, I think, is, is really going to help our situation here. Yeah, in yeah, that aspect yeah. anyway. I've been hearing that. I've been hearing that quite a bit with guys, especially, you know, in the metro, the high-pressured lakes where this, these learning lessons that, you know, early ice... For a lot of people, 
it's really just that pent up demand where people like to get out, but it's not necessarily the best bites that really happen just for that reason that the lack of snow, all that visibility, it's really easy to spook a lot of fish. You really got to have that stealth mode in place. Um, in your, in your strategy, uh, you know, with the electric augers being quiet on the ice and that whole bit and putting in your time in a spot, letting the fish come back to you. I've definitely been hearing that story quite a bit this year. And I think that's true that, uh, any of those little things that can just sort of help. We just don't need like a whole bunch of snow, right? No, um, I, I just, I just wanted, you know, originally I just wanted enough, enough snow to give us a little bit of snow cover. Now we've got this, you know, this snow that kind of sunk in base and gave, you know, kind of turned it milky white color to give us a little bit of stealth, you know, for fishing. And now we just need to build some ice, you know, it'd yep. be a big, great year if we could get, you know, 18 or 20 inches of good ice and then, you know, just a little bit of snow you know, stuff where people could bank their houses up and, and just darken everything down there a little bit. Like I'm, I'm crossing my fingers for like a really good ice season. It's been a, it's kind of been a while around here since we've just had a really good all around ice season where you can get around anywhere you want without problems all winter. Anything else that you think is like a fun and interesting that you want to cover or uh, anything for a couple minute closer? Otherwise we're pretty good on time here. No, I mean, I think, I think we kind of covered everything I wanted to cover, you know, um, and, you know, and I guess one thing about confidence baits is, you know, you're the only reason you become confident is because you're catching fish on it. And, you know, a lot of, I actually know a lot of people that don't like to fish plastics. I've, I talk to people every day that they're like, I can't fish a plastic cause I can't catch a crappie on it or I can't, you know, fish a Lindy rig or I can't, you know, whatever. And the thing is, you know, confidence bait is confidence cause you're catching fish on it. And you know, you're not going to get confident doing that until you step out of your comfort zone and try something that's working good, you know, for everybody else. Like, you know, talking, hearing this on the, on the radio, somebody say, you know what, you know, maybe this weekend I'm going out and those, those crappies are there. I know they're there and I'm just going to get some of these plastics or I'm going to get this particular setup and just go out and, and stick to it for an hour or two hours, even, you know, out, out of your, your day. And I think a lot of people will be present, pleasantly surprised with the results, you know, that they pick up from that. Yeah. And try new cadences, I think is such a big, strong message in the conversation too. Um, it's something that I think about a lot, but when I hear it from you, it gives me even more new ideas. Like it gives me even more confidence, um, you know, to try that, 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 that cadence, you know, it, it, it doesn't cost you any money to, to change up your cadence, but it can change your bait into, you know, three baits or three, three, presentations if you will or how the fish interpret what you're doing just by changing your cadence and it expands your it just expands everything that you can do um and i just i take a lot away from that portion of the conversation as well it's hard when it comes to building confidence you know if you have something that gives you some confidence be versatile with it um, and that can get you a long ways down the road man well anyways that's it, brother. Any, uh, we'll sign it off like this. Just uh, promote your stuff, promote yourself um, anywhere. If anybody has any questions or wants to look you up or or anything along those lines whatsoever, where can they find you? You can find me on YouTube at uh, just three thirty Maniac. You can find me on Facebook at three thirty Maniac Outdoors and Instagram. I actually have three thirty Maniac Fishing, and then my 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 Instagram handle is uh, the Minnesota Trapper. So. Look me up on there, watch some videos, and I uh, hope everybody has a good, safe ice season. There it is, man. And we'll check back in with you at some point whenever it works out for us. Uh, oh, love love get, having your time. Any uh, opportunity to talk to you, if we can get an update later on this winter, we'll try to do it, man. 
All right, sounds good. Thanks.